Good morning and welcome again. And uh, thank you, Ben, for reading scripture. Uh, ben is one of our elders, and yesterday our elders actually gathered together, socially distanced, of course. Uh, we met to carry on with our strategic planning process as a church, which many of you know we're in right now. And I, I want to say on behalf of the elders, I want to thank all of you for your participation. We had uh, an incredible number of survey returns. Many of you can, contributed through ministry consultations. Uh, you guys were so engaged. We had great participation, great feedback. Every comment that was written down was reviewed. And the elders are still processing and discerning, so keep on praying for them. This is a bit of a journey they're on. But thank you for your uh, important participation. It was so good, so valuable. My, my sense is for Hillside, um, actually a few weeks ago, Bill wrote a song, a, a kid's song, he called it, that simply said the words, the best is yet to come. And my sense is, is for Hillside, the best is yet to come. And I look forward to the years ahead of how God is going to stretch us and grow us in part because of the way we're praying and dreaming right now. So keep on praying. Thank you. Uh, last week was Easter, and no question, Easter ought to be the biggest celebration for the Christian. I mean, the good news that Christ's victory over all the powers of sin and darkness and, and death on his, his sacrifice on our behalf, so rich, so wonderful. But surprisingly, um, us Easter people, we keep bumping into in our lives a whole lot of trouble, right? One of our members this week was hospitalized. Uh, another family was quarantined due to COVID. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I, I was in a significant car accident. And someone reminded me this week, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And before we dive in, back into the, the Gospel of Matthew next week, today I want us to consider the resurrection of Jesus in one more way, especially in light of our common experiences of Good Friday. And we'll look at a difficult question, one we need to grasp if our following of Jesus is going to be as deeply rooted as it needs to be. What does the resurrection of Jesus tell us about God? And to look at this, I'm going to break it kind of into three broad categories, three areas. A surprising command, a sudden crisis, and a surpassing God. But before we do that, why don't we pray? Jesus, we invite you to come and, and speak to us this morning. I, I'm so grateful that wherever we are in our homes, our living rooms, our kitchens, uh, Lord, you long to meet with us. And as we are your church gathered right now, draw us together around your word and bring us your life, we pray. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, first, uh, a surprising command. Often when we think of commands, we think of Moses coming down Mount Sinai with 10 commandments. Someone once described this scene, Moses coming to the people of Israel saying, I've got good news and bad news. Good news is we've got the laws down from 50 to 10. Bad news, adultery still in. Funny, but when we think of God giving commands to his people, we often kind of think in the negative. And our image of God can sometimes be of this strict, 
kind of vice principal character, this, this strict rule maker who just kind of lays down arbitrary rules for us and wants to give us more and more and more of them. Most of them designed to stop us doing things that we would maybe want to do. As someone once confessed, the, the trouble is everything Jesus is against, I like. That's the, the image some of us have of God. But that whole idea of God is, in fact, a lie. The, the life and the love of Jesus, validated by his resurrection, as we talked about last week, proves it's a lie. Because do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible turns out to be? It's a command given over and over by, by God, by prophets, by angels, by the apostles, by Jesus. You might think it would be, be good, be holy, don't sin, don't mess up. Those aren't it. The most frequent command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear. It's a pretty surprising command. But you know what the irony is? The theologian N.T. Wright put me on to this, is that though this command is what we really want to hear, we have pretty much as much difficulty or more obeying this command as any other command. Wright says, we all cherish fear so closely that we find we can't shed it even when we're told to do so. Some, some of you are in college or university, you're in school right now, and, and you're in the middle of exams, you're, you're kind of wrapping up your term. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing I found about exams and, and papers, I, I, I'd worry about them all turn and term, and then I'd finally finish it all, and I'd, I'd get through it, and there'd still be this worry there. You know, I'd wake up the next day with adrenaline kind of pumping, and there was never as much relief as I'd hoped for. Or there's the person who's worried about money for years, and then suddenly inherits a bunch of money, and has enough money to, money to spare, but still finds that they worry about their bank accounts. The story's told of a practical joker who sent telegrams to all of the, the members of the British government saying simply, all is discovered, fly at once. And the story goes that within 24 hours, they'd all left the country. <laughs> but you know what? Every single one of us has something in which we badly need a voice to say, don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. And my hunch is that this is at the heart of following Jesus because unless we can learn to live without fear, we won't find it easy to follow Jesus. Well, we receive this command, do not be afraid, do not fear, in a world that is full of fear. We eat, sleep, and breathe fear. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, honestly, it's like we're born into it. Early on, right, you know, we're afraid of being alone or being unloved, or being abandoned. Or how about school? You remember those early days of school where we're afraid of, of looking stupid, or being unliked or rejected? We're afraid of being the last chosen on a team. And then we think about careers. We're afraid we won't get the job that we'd want. And then we're afraid if we do get the job that we want, we won't be up to it somehow. Those kind of fears can kind of chase after you your whole life. You know, we consider marriage, and 
and we're afraid both we might never find the, the right person, and, and if we do get married, we're, we're worried that it might all go south. You know, we consider a, a, a career move, and, and, and we're afraid of stepping off the ladder, but we're also afraid of, of missing some great opportunity. We look ahead to retirement, and, and we're afraid of, of growing older or becoming feeble or dying suddenly. And all, and all of these are kind of just the big ones. There, there are all kinds of, of lesser feels, fears that just kind of reinforce you know, one another and, and kind of chase after us our whole lives through. So you can see why this command, don't be afraid, is one of the hardest to keep. I, I, I mean, can you actually imagine living without fear? And so Jesus comes on the scene with, with good news and bad news. The good news is there's just one command this time. The bad news, this command tells us not to be afraid, and most of us don't have a clue how to obey that one. I mean, no one, none of us likes fear, but it's like the air we breathe. We, we don't know any other way to live. And so there's the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this incredible, incredible act, event. And what quickly follows is this command. It's the first words the angel said to the women at the tomb. Don't be afraid. It would have been an echo for Mary who heard the words from an angel at the announcement of Jesus' birth. Don't be afraid. It's the words of Jesus to his disciples while he's walking on the water in the midst of a terrible storm. And he says it to us today. Don't be afraid. And and we hear this invitation knowing it's from the God who made the world and who raises Jesus from the dead. And, and believing in this God means believing it's going to be all right. And, and this belief is ultimately incompatible with fear. As John says in his letter, he says, perfect love casts off fear. And the cross and resurrection is the revelation of perfect love, God's perfect love for you and God's perfect love for me. It's kind of, we got, had a bit of a struggle because it's one thing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's quite another thing to actually have this belief actually find us where we live, to affect us how we live N.T. Wright put it this way, he says, though we may at any stage in our lives grasp the truth that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, it takes us all our life long to let that belief soak through and permeate the rest of our being. In other words, it, it can be a lifelong journey to, for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus to soak into the places where we really love, live and love, like into our thinking, into our feeling, and into the deep crevices of our worrying lives. Sometimes the, the process is, is gradual. God kind of just kind of works away at the fears in our lives. I, I, I can testify to that. But sometimes it can involve a sudden crisis. You know, a, a wake-up call of sorts. We see this in what might be called the hidden chapter of the Apostle Paul's life. Paul's thought of as this great missionary, this, this great theologian, but he went through a, a lot. And much of his story kind of is, is told through the book of Acts. 
But the book of Acts doesn't tell us about this little season of his life that we read about in the second, Corinthian, second letter to the Corinthians. It was an experience so traumatic, so horrible, it almost destroyed him. And Paul writes about it. This is what he says. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. This description of some very painful days for Paul is found towards the beginning of the letter to the church in Corinth. And it would seem like a good part of this letter actually flows out of this kind of terrible experience. Now, the, the Corinthian church, you've got to know, Paul was the founding pastor. Probably one of the larger churches in the entire world. And there's this sense that the Corinthian church wanted Paul to be kind of the poster boy for success, an a unqualified success story. And, and Paul had to kind of lay it out for them, explain to them patiently that, even, that being an apostle, even being a Christian, was not a matter of being a success story, but of living with, with weakness and failure and with the God who raises the dead. Some, some commentators say the language that Paul uses in these verses is the language of depression. Depression is what can happen when a little group of our fears kind of get together in a circle. And the next thing you know, they're, they're going round and round and round. We, we begin thinking about one thing, and, which leads us to blame ourselves for the next thing, which leads us to be anxious about the third thing, which takes us back to the start, and away we go again around the circle. It, it's it's like we, it's kind of like we put ourselves on trial, you know, and we produce lots of evidence for the prosecution, and none for the defense, and and then we kind of pronounce the sentence as, as well. We're guilty. Paul, Paul says he says I felt as if I'd received the sentence of death. And some of you who've struggled with depression know it. It, it feels kind of like that. Could have been many things that led to Paul's depression. He, he planted another church in Asia in the city of Ephesus. And he and the, the church planting team were, were just hammered with persecution. Uh, his depression could have actually had to do with the Corinthian church. They were, it were his largest, most successful church and he was getting word that they were kind of messed up in some significant ways. So he's getting hit with some serious opposition, and his life work is starting to look futile. He's, he's tired, he's sick, kind of a perfect storm for despair. It, it, kind of like this pandemic has been for many people this last year. And he says in verse 9, he says, we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But listen to his next words. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Let me read that again. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This sudden crisis of Paul was to make him rely not on himself, but on the God who brings the dead back to life. Now question Hadn't Paul been relying on God? I mean, this is Paul we're talking about. Of course. But, 
but somehow there was a, a new depth, a, a further, there was a, a deeper level of Paul where the good news still needed to get to. Sounds like in this, this terrible experience, Paul hit a, a point where he came to the end of, of his own resources. Inside, he heard the voice of fear and, and he felt the sentence of death. And he says, this was to make me rely on the God who raises the dead. He'd been, he'd been following Jesus for years, but now he realized what it meant to follow the crucified and risen Lord in a whole new way, a deeper way to stop worrying about himself and to begin relying on God. Now, now I don't want to give the impression this morning that this new reliance on God is something that's real easy, something we can just snap our fingers and do. Sometimes, I, I think, we can be so sunk in our habits of, of fear and depression that can come from that, it can be just enormously difficult to, to really grasp this message of resurrection in the deep, deepest parts of us. But what I am saying is that the message of the gospel, that our God is the God who raises the dead, can and does go that deep. And that wherever you are, even in the rock bottom of despair, the gospel can reach you there too. Maybe it reaches us their best. It's when we're weak, we're strong. It's, it's when our strength kind of runs out that God's power comes running in. I, I've seen this in a friend of ours. Years ago, we were at his home with him and his wife, and we were kind of having a great time. We were actually watching the Super Bowl. You know, as Angel and I and the boys, you know, eating, you know, nachos and guacamole. And uh, we always knew this couple as a happy couple and, and fun to hang out with. But interesting, on our way home, on our drive back, um, Angel said, I, I wonder how they're doing. I, I wonder how their marriage is going. No surprise, uh, about a week later, I got a call from the husband, and he didn't sound good. And he said, can we get together? And the next day we got together and, and over the next couple of hours on our patio, he described how his wife had said that she wanted to leave him. Talk about a crisis. I'm talking about the wheels coming off the bus. Now this guy loves Jesus and he's in the storm of his life and hands down, it's, his, it's the worst thing he'd ever gone through. And, and he said to me, he said, my only hope now is God. He's the only sure thing I've got. And he went on to describe how, how in the middle of this marriage mess, he's, he's discovering to rely on the God who raises the dead. I, I don't think we are supposed to be surprised if, as Christians, it brings us to the place where, where we find ourselves at the end of our own resources and we're called to rely on God. I mean, living by faith rather than fear is so odd for us so scary for us, it takes a lot of learning. Bit by bit, we open ourselves up to the power of this resurrection God, and sometimes this will only, breakthrough will only really happen when a sudden crisis comes our way where there's literally nothing else we can do or turn to. We can't self-medicate. And in light of that, I wonder if we might be able to look at these moments, these these instances in our lives as opportunities to let our belief and trust in the resurrection of Jesus go to a deeper level, to, a, to the places where our fears still 
live. And these days, I don't know about you, but God has been persistently working on me in this, and I suspect he's doing the same in many of you. Interesting, a few years ago, uh, the New York Times featured a story about a 51-year-old ex-convict named Robert Saltzman. Saltzman, I mean, he just had a horrific childhood, and he ended up spending most of his adult life in prison. When released from prison in 2001, Saltzman found it very difficult to enjoy freedom outside prison walls, and he struggled to live. He struggled to pay rent. He, he found himself doing stints in homeless shelters. Finally, in, in June of, of 2010, Saltzman had kind of a, a grace-like experience. He was riding the subway in New York City, and someone on his, in his same train car was a writer and film director. And he was actually on the lookout for someone to, to play a tough-looking former convict for an upcoming film. And after Saltzman was given an audition, this director surprised nearly everyone when he gave Saltzman a kind of a significant role in this upcoming film. In, in the months that followed, Saltzman found it hard to believe he'd actually been set free into this kind of new life, free from his prison past. But on one occasion, while, while filming on location in a New York penitentiary, an exhausted Saltzman fell asleep uh, on a cot in a prison cell. And when he woke up, he became confused, and he thought he was still a prisoner. And Saltzman began weeping in despair until slowly his mind cleared, and he remembered he was a free man. And in that moment, Saltzman was overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that any, at any moment he could walk out of that cramped prison cell and through the prison doors into freedom because he was free. That story spoke to me because for some of us, we've, we've a long time ago come to Christ. We've kind of put our life in his care and in his hands. We've asked him to forgive us of our past. We've asked him to guide us and lead us into the future. We've trusted him. The prison doors uh, of our hearts and our minds have been opened. But honestly, sometimes we forget, don't we? Really? We feel like we're still in lockdown. We feel like we're still a prisoner to our fears. We forget all that we've been given in Christ. We forget that we've been freed in Christ. We forget all that we've been given in Christ. You know, one of the benefits of a, a sudden crisis is that if we stop... And if we listen, we will hear the still, small voice of Jesus say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am with you. It's possible in those moments to see God turn those fears amazingly into something else, into faith. My sense is, our fears don't get dealt with by simply a stronger sense of self-esteem or by reading self-help books. We, we really can't do this on our own. Our, our fears get disarmed as we see our fears in a whole new light. Let me ask you again. Perfect love does what? Perfect love casts out fear. 
Our fears get dealt with at a deeper level as, as they're met by the astonishing love of the resurrected God, the surpassing God, the God who raised Jesus, the God who will raise us. And as we bump into, as we encounter that love for ourselves, we'll be able to leave behind the, the false images that we have of God, of him being a bossy, bullying God who just kind of wants to control us. We'll be able to follow him in trust rather than fear, knowing that he knows the way, the way that's best for us. You see, once we know the, and really grasp the nature of God who is so good, who surpasses all of our expectations, who raises the dead, we can then trust him with everything that comes our way in life. He can be trusted with exams and with jobs and with marriage, marriages. He can, we can be trusted with singleness. We can trust him, we can trust him uh, with our relationships. We can trust him with all the, the stress and pressure that just simply is part of living. He can be trusted with money, even when it doesn't seem like it's enough. He can be trusted with with threats that come our way, even viruses that, that are out of control or sudden car accidents that change your life. He can be trusted with old age, even with death itself. Of course, because he's the God who raises the dead, who loves us, and who takes the situation where there seems to be no hope in human terms and brings new life exactly there. Paul concludes his thoughts with this line in, in verse 10, where he says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. He says, God delivered us. We were desperate. God came through, and, and he says, uh, Because he delivered us there, I know he'll deliver us again. I can trust him because. He came through there. He, I know he'll come through then. On him, he says, we've set our hope as you help us with your prayers. Our elders, uh, we've been kind of putting our finger on a, a theme for this year, for 2021. It's just a couple of thoughts in one little phrase. Pray and be courageous. The, the, the sort of the hidden part of that is pray and be courageous for he is with you. Pray and be courageous. Pray and take courage. Why? Because he's with you and for you. The God who raises the dead is with us and for us. He has delivered us and he will deliver us again. And on him we have set our hope. Amen? I'm going to invite Angel to lead us in a time of response. Angel's going to come on up. Wow. That message uh, comes to us in the trenches of where we live. Uh, I want to pray, and uh, I'm sure during this COVID time, something that has become very clear to us is that God just doesn't meet us in the church walls. He meets us where we are. Uh, in our homes, in the craziness 
of our homes, he comes and he meets with us. And um, our homes become a holy place. And I just sense um, this time is a holy place where God wants to meet with you and do some amazing things in you. And so I'm going to pray for various things right now. And I want you to quieten your hearts. And I'm going to give you a few moments of silence to quieten your heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Come among us. Devin talked about uh, we are all in need of places or in circumstances where we need for God to say, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Father, we come and we bring all our fears, deep fears and worries that cripple us, Father, we bring them before you like uh, little boys and girls bringing their toys that are broken and don't know how to fix it. Uh, we bring all our fears before you. And we dump them at your feet. Father, would you put us back together? And speak into our lives and say, don't be afraid. Yeah. I am with you. It is going to be okay. Devin talked about... Uh, crisis that has happened in our lives that have exposed uh, some of our fears. Some of them are deep fears. Uh, interesting, God gave me a picture um, of this road um, that has deep ruts, you know, like where your vehicle can get stuck, the wheels can get stuck in the ruts. And uh, and I sensed the ruts for our fears. And, uh, you know, immediately I'm thinking, how can I uh, make the way clear, like make another way? And I sensed uh, Jesus saying, I don't want you making another way. I'm going to teach you how to fly above the ruts. And... Uh, for some of you, your uh, crisis is exposed to your fears. Uh, like Dervin said, um, you are in despair or you feel like there is the sentence of death of have come. So Father, we bring that, uh, uh, the crisis, 
father, whether it's uh, health news or things in our family um, that we have learned, father, that has exposed our deep fears. Father, some of these fears have been there since we were little. And these crises has exposed that. And Jesus, I pray, Lord, would you come and teach us how to fly above these ruts. Father, these ruts seems like there is no way we could walk through them. So Jesus, come and teach us how to fly. Because you said this resurrection life we received from you is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurously expectant greeting us, saying, what's next, Papa? So teach us, Papa, how to fly above these, these ruts that we find ourselves in. Oh, Father, we feel like uh, sometimes, like that prisoner Derwin talked about, we've been set free, we've been given a new life, we know we are yours, and we sing and we pray, but when we close our eyes, we find ourselves back in the prison, trapped in that prison, not knowing how to get out. Oh, Father, come. Come into those prisons and set us free, Lord Jesus. Oh, the fear that grips us, resurrected Christ, come and resurrect us from that place of death into life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.